0: Welcome to a podcast for the Krakoan mutant era, with a distinctly black and queer lens. Every episode has a new guest, a single topic, and a ticking timer. This is X of Words. 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 <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> that's funny, because whoever I answer, someone's going to come for me, right? <laughs> Well, in that respect, in that, I think the safe answer thus has to be Somnus because I am the co-creator of that character. And uh, who can argue with me if I say that he's a he's a lightweight. Right. So um, plus, in some ways, mentally, he's like a 90 year old man in the body of like a, of someone who's three years away from twink death. So there's probably a lot of uh, I mean, like he's he's probably pretty. uh Pretty light uh, when it comes to partying and things like that, because until he was resurrected, he probably had not raged for at least forty years, uh, as I put things <laughs> all together. So he's just dipping his toe back in, right? You know, uh, but it's probably it's probably somnus. Like he's probably like a, you know, maybe he has a Mick Ultra and he starts to get the giggles, um, but uh, and it's all downhill from there.
0: I'm adding three years away from t- Twink's death to the Wikipedia page. Yeah, by
1: it's by all means. I said it in an interview, right? So and the thing is characters, comic characters don't age, so he will now always be three years away from Twink Death.
0: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So hi everyone, welcome, welcome to another episode of X of Words. You know who I am, and today I've got Steve Orlando with me. Um p- Pardon?
1: That's me. I am Steve Orlando. You know what? I will hand over
0: to you. Go for it. Intro, intro. Tell them you yeah, know.
1: sure. Steve Orlando, writer of Marauders, X-Men Green, uh, the upcoming uh, Mutant First Strike. Also, f- folks might know characters like yeah, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman. I know this is a Marvel podcast. Um, and, of course, Scarlet Witch, which I'm doing right now. Uh, and the recently announced Iceman. I always forget what people know. Coming up next, Astonishing Iceman. Um, with uh, with myself and with um, just a killer team, uh, for the fall of X line that's coming up this summer. So I'm all over the place, and and never mind, of course, countless originals and 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 all sorts of things. Uh, if I sound uh a little pretentious saying countless originals, I would just point to what uh rent is in a major U.S. city, and that's the secret to my creativity. <laughs> I like living, and I like eating food. So uh, I'm everywhere, but right now I've been in the X Men office a lot, and I'm excited to talk about this stuff.
0: Well, welcome. I'm I'm viscerally holding on to the question about Scarlet Witch because um, I I specifically see it as like a parade of women that uh, magic would love and date and fall in love with, (laughs) and have been watching every subsequent antagonist ticking off the list.
1: Oh, and now you saw the HexFinder design, and it only furthered your hypothesis, right?
0: Exactly. But, 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 today we're going to talk about mutant prehistory. So, strap in. We have 10 minutes, and the question is, so, what's happened to mutant history? And with that, I'm going to hit the timer, and our X starts. It's now. Great. Great.
1: Well, so, mutant mutant prehistory... It goes back to conversations I had with Jonathan Hickman when I came into the X-Men office. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the short version is everything you love is still exactly what it was, which is always nice for people um, who yeah. are who are worried we've 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 taken the the hacksaw to, to continuity and such. Um, but now there's also more, you know, this is like Pedro Pascal. Life is good, but it could be better. Um <laughs> So now there's even more. Uh, and, and what we did is we we sat down and we talked about this line in um, in the early X-Men run. Well, John's early X-Men run, rather, uh, where we noted that Apocalypse was the first of the second generation of mutants. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really where the idea to expand prehistory uh, for mutant kind came from and create this kind of high republic era for mutant kind that uh, gives us just. Ten thousand years of history to explore, and it started both with that little line in X Men, and also an article I had. We had we had come across, you know, it, I want to say either in the Atlantic or or the New Yorker, one of those types of things. Regardless, an article about how they're uh, very well in the real world could have been um, an industrialized society that was just as advanced as ours, uh, and if it was over two billion years ago, especially because there's a massive extinction level event in our own fossil record. It'd be so long ago that there would be absolutely no evidence of it. It's not like there would be fossils or buildings like we have with things that are old, but not that old. There'd be nothing. And and that got our imaginations going. Um, and in the, as to how it came about, we went around thinking, well, what is uh, mutant storytelling? What is mutant thought and, and mutant solutions really look like? You know, one of the big pushes of the Krakowan era in this book and every book has been sort of not. Doing things the human way, trying to invent new culture, trying to invent mutant thinking—you know, yeah. it, it, there's certainly an antecedent to how we think in the real world about queering concepts. For example, it's not the same thing, but there's there's um, a parallel there.
0: Yeah, um, let's
1: not just do things because it's the way that we've always done them before. Let's question what can be questioned. So when it came to threshold, it became what's the mutant version of history, and the mutant version of history isn't linear. Doesn't have to be. They don't follow the same rules that that we do as, as humans, and and in this case, mortals, because of course we can't resurrect for the most part. Uh, and, uh, and they can. So the question became with these new constants of mutant culture, uh, you know, resurrection. And of course, I mean, time travel's been with X-Men going back since the introduction of, I mean, since Days of Future Past, and probably before that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it became, how can we, uh, talk about the mutant version of history and create something that's uniquely mutant. and, and this became yes, it doesn't progress in a linear fashion. You have uh, everything that the characters you love are in fact the first generation that started with Apocalypse uh, or Celine. I'm not trying to start a, a fire in the credit in, in the credits here or the comments section. started uh-huh. with the people you thought it started with um, and then grew into the present. Um, where then, yes, an end run was done and we went back and created this pocket of extra of extra time uh, as a place f- where mutants could go in the future, as a place, sort of an act of defiance to the current mindset, especially with what Orcus is doing of aggressive xenophobia, xeno- um, um, uh, m- m- mutanophobia and, and just xenophobia that is going towards mutants. Um, as Tempo says, you know, mutants have earned a place to live and flourish. Free of today's hate, uh, and, and that's sort of where the impetus for Threshold came from. Uh, along with again, this just basic idea: human history progresses in one direction. Uh, if we're doing mutant history, it doesn't need to follow those rules. So, how can we surprise people, and how can we aggressively challenge what they think of as things that that have to happen and must be?
0: So, I I, I really vibed with a racco as a as a, and I think you'll probably know like all the like all the people in. X twitter and all the writers probably know, is that like Araco was very black-coded. So it sits very, very close to my heart. And so putting this further history was interesting. It was super interesting. And when we go back to Threshold, uh, I watch it and I love the fucking designs. I'm going to swear, Steve. Uh,
1: Dude, I'm from Central New York. It's shocking that I haven't done it
0: yet. So don't (laughs) worry about it. (laughs) I love the fucking designs back there. There's one guy who has like tentacles on his head that I'm obsessed with. And also now while I'm here, Um, with you, I would be remiss to not speak up for my friend and say that uh, by hook or crook we need the plant-faced mutant bat.
1: I love that everybody loved him from the first, you know, uh, from the first Krakow in Heroes. I would love to get him back. You know, you can actually thank uh, fellow X-Men writer Steve Fox for the suggestion for that design. (laughs) <laughs> um but I I do like that he's taken on a life of his own um and yeah I mean you know the the door is open uh certainly for returns anyone can go back there Cassandra is still back there of course so who knows what it would look like if people ever do come go back to threshold um but yeah no I mean I I'm happy that people liked uh the hedge the hedge-headed guy
0: no. <laughs> Hedgehead, I enjoy hedgehead.
1: Yeah, that could be his name. Sure. I like, listen, I mean, it was the, the idea was just to do again, like, I mean, there's a slight inspiration for the threshold mutants to the more uh, I have a passion in my heart for the earth X X-Men that are very obviously like their powers are a little less useful, but they all are very obviously visibly mutant. And, yes. and they have kind of like a sideshow quote unquote effect. And I always thought that was very cool. So if you ever see me get like, uh, dog face from there, or someone into my books. Now you know why, because I just always love those designs. So there was kind of a push to make the Threshold Mutants, uh, again, well, all visibly mutant and, and not necessarily as humanistic uh, in their designs.
0: Uh, and that's something that I really liked about it as well. Going back, when you saw Threshold, there was a lot of visible mutation. You have a long-running mutant population, you get more visible Mutations as sort of X genes combine and overlap.
1: I mean, I can't, I can't canonize that, but I do think that that I mean, there's things that we have touched on that align with that in Marauders. You know, we've hinted that uh, I think in eleven or twelve, and forgive me, I believe it's in twelve, where you see the Cerebras protecting the ancestors of her of her own X Men, and you yeah. see that the ancestor to North Star twenty ninety nine has a version of his powers, but North Stars are much more advanced. Yes. Uh, his, his ancestor is basically a human dowsing rod, and when you get you know seventy or nine, however many years later, I'm I'm a writer and a queer. We can't really do math, uh, like you know North Star. Then is an omega level navigator where he can basically navigate towards anything, uh, even even like an esoteric concept. Hmm. And I think that also holds water with what you're saying with threshold because it, it seems. You know, the time the threshold exists is so vast that people can go back there pretty much forever. Even all of mutant history now, um, that's the beauty of having it stuck in the past. People can't, I mean, if people don't go back for five years, it's still there to explore. Um, but if you consider that they've been, it's a 10,000 year civilization before it's destroyed, that's longer than humans, are, and, and pardon me, that's longer than mutants have been able to propagate as you just discussed in the present. Mm. So I think it does stand, and we know that in Threshold, the dynamics are reversed. There's more mutants, and there's less humans. And so the idea that as they procreate, um, the the mutations become more visible and esoteric. I think it definitely holds water for me. I can't sit here and say that that's a that's a that's a canon fact because yeah. I've written, I've written the book, but I love it, and I think it aligns with the things that we we were talking about.
0: So. Because when I read it first, I thought that that was because we knew less of the mutants, and because they were also humans mixed up. What you needed was a visual differentiator.
1: Oh no, I was just going to say the, the the nice thing is that both can be true. You're not wrong there too. But one of those is a is a is a is a metatextual need, and the other is a story thing that you build off it because the other thing has to happen. So you're all, you're not wrong in either sense, to be quite <laughs> honest. But um, what we have to do is is find the opportunities in those things. Because you're right. You know, when you're establishing all new characters, they need to be easily visibly delineated, visually delineated. Um, mm-hmm. But again, our job is to find the opportunities in the mandates. Um, and, and it's part of the job, at least. Mm-hmm. And and that's how I look at it. And then you can find and build lore around that. Because as you said, in a basic level, yes, if everybody just looks human, um, well, it would be hard to tell who's who uh unless we start you know making them dress differently or things but then you have to explain that and you know in the same way that to be quite frank like the reason there's less visible mutants in the in reality is that just that uh, the scope of 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 marketing and thinking has changed in the 60 years since the x men were invented the, you know, and you see more and more as time goes on at the same time the classic quote-unquote characters were invented in a time where he, having wings was was weird enough, you know, in 1963 yeah. or 64 or whatever, having big hands and big feet, which was originally beast's mutation.
0: How how terrible. Imagine that, a white man with big hands and big feet.
1: To be clear, I love No Hair Beast. Uh, I I got to come clean, but I agree it's, it's it's not it like it's it's not that shocking. I love the video I love the images back then of him where he would like, they decided his, even though his feet did not look like hands, they could work like hands, which beggars modern science. Uh, and he would just like climb up the side of buildings by jamming his thick, meaty toes into the grooves of a building or something. Um, but I, I actually, I, 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 I hate to put myself on blast. I actually just like every version of Beast except the one that is probably the most popular where he is just a blue wolverine. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And I don't dislike that either. I just I just don't want him to have the wolverine hair cuz I feel like that happened because that haircut was cool in the 90s. So it. I mean, it was cool because Wolverine was cool and, he, and and the second the I mean, this is how marketing people think. If you, if you, you know, like you can only have one Wolverine. So why not pass that haircut around to give more people the rub? Um, but yeah, I think, I think that um, I I even like that blue furry version of beast. I just liked actually in like the Pacheco era, his hair got long and he wasn't, and he wasn't sort of riffing off the Wolverine look as much. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with most Hank McCoy looks. I do like his unified look he has now. I think that started in the Bendis era when Eminem made him sort of like a cat gorilla. <laughs>
0: Um, Listen, I was going to say there was only one, and it was Cat Beast. The only time I was aesthetically down with Beast was Cat Beast.
1: I like Cat. Well, I liked Cat Beast as well, um, but I can't say that I didn't like. I don't like the Cat Gorilla that came after. I'm pretty <laughs> happy. I'm pretty happy in most cases. The current version, where like Abigail Brand is fingering his eye hole, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but
0: <laughs> uh,
1: I know that Ben has a plan anyway. As I said, tangents, they happen all the time.
0: No problem, no worries. So back to Threshold. Okay, so one of the interesting things about Threshold was that it was a mixed human mutant society. And how do you think that plays in terms of mutant prehistory when so far Araco was about uh, demons and, and mutants and their role in, oh, okay.
1: That's oh, all yeah. 10 minutes we can keep going
0: <laughs> yes okay uh, the, the Araco law kind of set up mutants as this defending force as a frac as a fraction of the mutant population that had to step aside while defending you know the earth humans everything from this amenti invasion moving back to threshold now that we have a mixed human and mutant society was that meant to stand as a a signal or a reference or how does it sit in context with the larger sort of mutant story being told with Krakoa as it is right
1: now? Well, the, the thing is, is there, there's two different things there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one, one of the reasons we put Threshold before this big extinction event is that we, it, it is kind of in the same way that the Loki TV show has all of these changes to time happening in, before natural disasters and things like that. Yeah. What happens, I mean, everything on the planet dies basically two billion years ago uh, due to an oxy- oxygenation event. Of course, we hint that that's actually an unbreathing weapon, but it was actually an oxygenation, uh, a hyperoxygenation in our fossil record that killed everything two billion years ago in reality. So the nice thing is, is that, yeah, I mean, I mean. It is, quote unquote, a, a, a fresh start for everything, you know, uh, and, and, and everything, you know, is, is as you've known it. We wanted there to be a break so that we could have the rain to do whatever we want or set out to do, me and other creators with Threshold, yeah. while making sure that it wouldn't be like, oh, well, suddenly this thing that happened, as you said, on Araco and Aramment, well, suddenly this has changed. All this changes, you know, that Okara was a person uh, that survived this extinction event, at least with one or two cells, but that it was so traumatic. I mean, they came back not even in a, in a humanoid body anymore or with a humanoid consciousness in the same mm-hmm. way. Um, other than that, you know, regarding threshold itself and and the, the existence of humans, um, we wanted to. I mean, we wanted to invert the dynamic. We've had many many years of, uh, obviously, we've had sixty years of, of of mutants being hated and feared in some in some form or another. Um, but there's always like the thing is, is that we we want to try to say new things, uh, and we right. want to try to to try, try to address different scenarios. And there's always look there's there's always going to be um, a power dynamic in a society. There's always going to be um, some people always find a way to other someone right. Mm-hmm. And, and and I may be specifically I may be specifically keyed into that as being bisexual and being Jewish, both things which are invisible for the most part. Although people do look at me and 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 tell that I'm Jewish, uh, you know the fact is, is that, I mean, you know, without getting into it too much, like I've gotten more shit in my life from, from the gay community than the straight community about being bisexual. I've had, I've had more standards and practices and more, more rules set on what counts and when I count. Um, and so what we saw in threshold is an opportunity to address that power dynamic. But now we come back to mutant thinking, um, you know, could we take a chance to say there is a way for people in power, um, to act upon and interact with those with less power that is different than the modern day. And and that's why we set out that, yes, you know, you can view someone without power uh, and you can relative or a relative lack of power as, as weak. Um, That's generally what we've done for the past all of human existence, even though it's wrong, Um, but could mutants think differently? And we wanted to make a statement about that. So, I mean, in threshold, humans have the least power. They live the shortest amount of time. However, uh, that's what makes them precious for their perspective, uh, you know, for their for their point of view and for their check on the people that do have power. Maybe it's a little too hopeful, you know, but that's what we wanted to do. The people with the raw power and threshold have set in place uh, a system and a government system that equalizes uh, through institutions, people who aren't uh, on a on a raw physical level, equitable with the threshold mutants. And they've uh, I mean, they've done that in hopes of bettering themselves and keeping themselves in check. It's a checks and balances scenario that doesn't necessarily often happen in the real world. But again, we're doing mutant thinking, we're doing mutant society. How could we show that they are different and they've perhaps addressed uh, even base things like like inequities of social and physical power uh, differently than we do as humans? So I mean, again, maybe it is a little too hopeful. Uh, looking at the world today, but that's one of the things we wanted to to point out it doesn't have to be this way you know right. and those with those with less can be elevated and venerated institutionally and socially um and we can learn from them. We should be learning from them uh with threshold that's very much happening. the people um, with the least on the table, so to speak, are the people uh with the most power institutionally and socially every Every generation of thresholders combined in the threshold government Mm. holds as much power just as the human side of the house. Because if they're not, you know, in in threshold methodology, at least before things go to shit, obviously with the unbreathing, if they're not elevating and listening to the people that they're supposed to be most respecting and guarding, what are they doing? You know, Mm. uh, what are they there for?
0: There are loads of, and that's, there are loads of bits of Marauders that are about reconciliation with. The past and reconciliation with power. Um, whether you're looking at the Shia and the ten, the ten shames, it, it is really interesting to watch those people who are in power navigate having a legacy that is destructive, having a position that is destructive, um, and then you jump back to threshold, and it feels like th- that's part of a positive re- reconciliation. So, okay, as a, as a reader. I'm reading Krakoa, loved it. We know, you know, Disney's going to be a big corporation. And as much as I love Krakoa, you're not going to be able to have mutants be isolationist forever. And so going back to a history, and when we saw thresholds at a time when mutants and humans had actually managed to make it work, is that a concept that is then going to feed into the future of mutants?
1: Well, to be quite honest, I mean, uh, I would... I would like it to. But at the same time, you know, we don't we don't know what's coming in the future, you know, which is the biggest non-answer ever. But the future may not be written by the people doing Krakoa right now. (laughs) So um, but at the same time, the the dynamic isn't uh, it's inverted in the present. So I don't know if that can work like the people that would have to learn from Threshold are the people that don't know about it, which is the tragedy. The people that would have to learn from Threshold in the present are the people that are in the majority and in power, uh, which, I mean, I, I suppose it is Krakoa in that, you know, we got Magneto saying we're your gods now. Um, but in a practical sense, humans and and of course, Orcas are still the, the in the majority here and, and they're and they're not acting upon mutant kind and other marginalized people, both. Uh, of, of course, uh, real and, uh, and fictionalized, marginalized folks like mutants and humans they're not acting on them with the same grace that you see in Threshold. So if anything, I think there's tragedy there in that the people that need to learn the most from it are the people that will never see it.
0: Exactly. And I think like, as much as I'm, I'm watching this Fall of X thing with a lot of like trepidation, because for me, the thing that should justify Fall of X is for humans to make such a land shift that the, the, Krakoa isn't a need. I think a lot of people had a lot of yaki yeah, yaki yak, <laughs> and you look in the dictionary, you'll find yaki yaki yak is actually like a scientific term. <laughs> but people had a lot of it for Krakow. And I like the sort of uh, the, the, the 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 unpacking of that in the early <laughs> early pages. But at the same time, it was a necessity. It was a necessity. I think something like Kokoa is a natural reaction to uh, sentinels legislation. Um, and you're right, I think humans would have to have a massive land shift. Where did that, was that a theme when when you were writing? Did you build in any sort of Easter eggs or anything that you wanted picked up moving forward? I mean, you know.
1: Uh, well, I mean, there's a couple things going on. You know, like first of all, like Marauders was a rescue book and we do see them doing traditional rescues, but at the same time, much like with Threshold, the question became you know, what, and you see the characters interrogate this on the page, but it also this was the question in the room: like, what does rescue mean when you're not bound by the same uh, by the same rules as 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 mortal humans? You know, does, I mean, and so yes, this is largely a book about rescuing your own history that's been erased yeah. um, from the people in power, um, and and that by definition means yes, we're going to be reckoning with the past of other of other groups. Um, I think that the thrust is about how you deal, uh, and this is going to be about crack. And this is about Krakoa too. No one, no empire becomes, uh, and, and Krakoa is not an empire, but, but no empire, no one comes to power without having some skeletons in the closet. Yeah. I think it's, I've always thought it's fanciful that comics in general, not specifically Marvel or even the X-Men office are littered with these seemingly benevolent empires uh which is just a pipe dream, you know, so so the question becomes, how do you deal with it? And you can deal with it like we've seen uh, like we've seen uh, Zandra do, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say, accept it. Um, and broadly speaking, uh, institutionalize reparations for mutants, which is what she does. Um, or you can ignore it, like we tend to do in this country uh, w- with our own crimes, you know. Um, and so that is something that I wanted to talk about because because that is, as Krakow rises to power, that does become something they're going to have to consider. And of course, the book is done and you've seen some of the crimes that we found out about. Yeah, there are things that Sinister did. There are things that, you know, people, bad actors, bad faith actors perpetrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's never as simple as the people in power make it seem. So um, I wanted to uh, address that as best we can. It, it, this is a book about how we reckon with our history, um, whether it's talking about the Shi'ar, whether it's talking about mutant kind. In the case of mutant kind, you have found out that quite literally the, the Kin Crimson stole 10,000 years of history from them, basically, mm. uh, or attempted to uh, because of their own shames. And I can't say that that doesn't connect to me, you know, as again, by the vectors uh, through which I've encountered any type of marginalization. If you're if you're a Jew, you often only know so much about where you come from, because for for obvious reasons that happened in the 30s and 40s and or even before that. And if you're a queer person of any kind, uh, the structures do all they can to erase anyone who was like you going back even 50 years, you know, let's say 100 and 200 years, Uh, you know, like history bends to say that we were never here when we've been here the entire time. So if there is a major thrust to revealing threshold in a thematic sense, that's the sense. Uh, Mutants are not a perfect stand-in for any marginalized group, but they are a squint stand-in for most. And Yeah. yeah, the statement is in spite of those in power and in spite of what people try to do to rewrite history, they have been here all along. And that goes for every type of marginalized person. That's a word,
0: Steve. (laughs) But you're right, you're right. And I mean, reading these books, uh, how do you deal with trying to tell that story in the larger sort of comics infrastructure? Because we were at the height, when Marauders came out, you were telling that story parallel to the beginnings of real sort of self-determination for mutants. So how times-wise, how did that work?
1: Uh, I mean, we talk a lot in the X office. I mean, we are all on a Slack together. We all know what everyone else is doing, so that's helpful. A little bit is, I mean, this is not a sexy answer, a lot, but a little bit of it is out of our hands. We don't set the release dates for our books and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's more about, again, I had said earlier, we get certain mandates. We don't really necessarily control when our books come out because we're part of a larger publishing line. But what we can do is find the opportunities there. Yeah. You know? um, and so that happens with things like we knew we were touching on the Shi'ar Um, which we started in Marauders, but then you saw that Al picked up the Shi'ar intrigues and the Kin Crimson and X-Men Red, for example. Yeah. Or you saw that um, the the idea that Okara became, was sentient uh, and has been around longer than people thought was picked up even in uh, Judgment Day, where you find out that Krakoa has been around so long that it's, or at least some version of it, that it's the pattern on which the machine was built by the Eternals. You know um same with kieran setting up cassandra supernova uh in 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 imx and things like that so scheduling and release you sort of get those from the people that that make the big decisions and then we we get in the ring and we talk and find out how we can get the most out of it and 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 be additive and supportive of each other without also ideally now i don't know if it succeeds but without also forming a barrier to entry where people feel lost if you're only reading one book or the other i see what you mean so, now if we, if we succeed, that's up, that's up to the dear readers. I don't I think we can always be better, it's always a work in progress.
0: Reading comics is confusing, it's fun. I mean, let's, let's just lay it on the table. You got, unless you're buying everything, you're not really getting all of the story at all. So, I'm sure a lot of us are used to kind of going, uh, that's a little, that's an annex that I'll read when I pick that thing up. So, I think there'll, there'll be a lot of grace. Oh, somnus, I want to talk about somnus. Um, sure. this is a really, really interesting character, and I really hope that this is a character that people uh, adore and find interesting and pick up and move forward. Um, but on top of Marauders, I think also being one of the most diverse teams in the line at all. I, I
1: appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that uh, because we did. You know, we work for these things, but at the same time, like we always need to let folks notice it themselves. I mean. At least that's my philosophy, so I appreciate you noticing. But anything else, I think, is sort of classless, right? Like if I, if I came out and tweeted to, to put a spotlight on the fact that we had done these things, that's fucking disgusting. So you just sort of do these things and hope that people notice. So I did want to also say that I appreciate it. No, no, no. It's, I
0: mean, it was very refreshing to read a book where there were a, a multitude of black and brown characters. Did you have any trepidation moving into that? As a writer, does that freak you out? Is that something that you deal with quite carefully? How do you approach it?
1: Well, as you said, it's something I deal with quite carefully. Um, trepidation has a negative connotation, but it, you shouldn't feel negative about being inclusive in your cast. So I hesitate to say trepidation, but it's a huge responsibility. Mm. You know, um, and, and so my only my I, I only pivot from trepidation because it seems negative. It's a challenge and it's a lot more work, but that's part of the job. You know, I mean, we uh, I can only say how I feel about these things. I don't want other creators to f- fear being inclusive. I want them to understand that, yes, it's a bigger responsibility and more work when it comes to when it comes to having an inclusive cast. Um, but. Uh, that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. It just means that they should do the work, you know and and that's how I've always gone about things. So yeah, it takes a lot more consideration and a lot more care, um, even more so than any other character, because to be frank, there's no comic character that does not have as involve, as you said, quote, trepidation mm-hmm. because every character is someone's most important character. But there's something extra on top of that uh, when you're dealing with when you're dealing with inclusivity, especially things outside of your own experience. And there's, there's, there's a difference, at least in my own work, I've always tried to say when people ask, there's a difference between being inclusive and then maybe stepping out of bounds into experiences that are extremely personal and in my opinion, at least, belong to a specific community, right? So what do I mean when I say that? Um, I do my best and I'm not, I, I'm, we're all imperfect, but I do my best when I, you know, say Tempo and Bishop, you mentioned there were two Black characters. Um, I'm sure there are some writers that think that it would be totally cool to have to sit down and some writers who are not Black, for context, uh, have them sit down and have a talk about what it is to be Black. I think that's buck wild. Like that's, that, that, that's a little bit, I mean, as I said, I I, I that's just not something I would do. That belongs to creators of color and Black creators. But that also, to me, doesn't mean that we should not include them in the book. Mm-hmm. You just have to know your guardrails and 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 present them with confidence, with positivity, uh, and with respect. And yes, there are certain things that maybe I wouldn't have those characters talk about, um, but that doesn't mean that they are not prominent and, and, and shouldn't be included in the book. I think people's I think, yeah, some creators do feel the trepidation you're saying, and they let that stop them from doing it. Mm-hmm. You just have to know. Uh, yeah, I don't, can't believe I'm like quoting The Rock here, but you just have to know your role. <laughs> uh, and, and that is to present these characters with love, with respect, and with passion. And yes, understand that m- there are certain things that maybe you should veer away from, but one of those things is not putting them in the damn book where they belong.
0: Exactly. And, th- and I said trepidation, and I sort of injected my perspective on other writers that I've seen talk about this debate. So uh, thank you for flagging that, because I wasn't something. anything. Well, no, no I mean, but, it, but
1: it's real. And the thing is, I think that there's, there's an ego and there's a privilege to certain, uh, I mean, cr- certain creatives. And I say certain, I'm not like shading a specific person. I really do just mean certain creatives. You know, we've all been on a panel or read an interview where someone says, well, I'm a man. Uh, and I can, and yeah, of course I can have, write Lois Lane and I can write women because I can write Superman and I'm not an alien. And I remember I was on a panel with uh, someone who said that once and another creator of mine who himself was Latino in background said, yeah, but the thing is, is that women are real. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, which sounds obvious uh, because it fucking is, but the the point remains, I, I think what's important is perspective uh, and self-awareness when doing these things. Um, 100%. You know, and and, and and to admit that we don't know it all. I don't know it all. I can only do my best. And when something has gone awry, even if it's unintentional, you've got to handle that with grace. that's uh, not necessarily a thing that we do that much on the internet, but that, that is what we have to do.
0: See, you know what? That's that's nice. That's that's nice to hear such a robust view from it. Um, especially the the emphasis on understanding impact over intent. And I mean I, I, I
1: I'll tell a story. Uh one of my uh one of my good friends uh well internet friends and 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 good friends in real life who have wow. since moved away from my area when i was back at uh, at the other place on justice league of america mm-hmm. um i it was really important to me that vixen was like the co-leader of the team i would have had just had her be the leader but again there are mandates and one of them was batman is one of the leaders of the yeah. team so um but in my opinion first of all like how would i, I mean Beyonce, Beyonce should be who Vixen is in, in the Marvel universe, <laughs> pardon me, the DC universe. She's a billionaire. She's a self-made billionaire. And, and, and on top of all those things, and she's a fashion icon, in addition to being a superhero and a businesswoman. but on top of all those things, I sat down to write Justice League of America and I realized that um, uh, Mari had done everything that Bruce Wayne had done while not inheriting a fortune and being a black woman um, and having watching her parents die in individual times at two parts of her life. She'd done everything and achieved the same exact thing. She'd become a billionaire, but from scratch, with all of those hurdles in front of her. So I felt, it was just shocking to me that she wasn't more prominent within the DCU. And the, to bring it around to the, the impact that you said, there, there is a point here. I know I tend to ramble. Uh, I asked my friend if I could get one thing done because even as a creator, I only have so much power. I'm not in charge. Uh, and if you push for things too hard, you just get fired.
0: Yeah.
1: So if I could get one thing done with Vixen, knowing how much a lot of people looked up to her and, and identified with her, what would it be? And um, she said, well, give her natural hair because her hair has always been drawn terribly and it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. And so, that was, so, so rather than going full force at the office with a laundry list of things, this was my one thing. And we got it done and to the now with you know now like seven almost ten years later it's still canon and now it's in toys now it's when she appears in tv shows now it's when she appears on covers and things like that and i to be quite frank i didn't know at the time i underestimated the impact i wasn't uh educated as to the dynamics of of black hair in the way that i i mean i'm still not now but i know more about it of course and and you admit and getting that one thing done i was I had no idea the impact it would make, but we did get it done and, and I, I learned from that. I mean, it showed me that even these small things can ripple out and make huge, uh, and, and have a huge effect on people when it comes to inclusion and diversity. Yeah,
0: and I think it's a massive thing because it's, you know, you've got sort of a top flight white dude writer whose idea of what a woman or a black woman or a trans person or a gay man sounds like becomes more important and paid for and sought after than those actual voices. I think the, the benefit of being more uh, actively inclusive is that diverse characters are going to need to push to more diverse writers in the room.
1: No, I completely agree. I mean, I think you know, in, it, I, we need to do like, take the example you're talking about, mm. uh, you know, I'll take a very obvious example, uh, Bendis creating Miles Morales. Yeah um the reality of the industry that i think some people uh well first of all i think some people don't understand but there's also there's not an expectation to if added context helps great but like you know there's no there's no expectation that readers need to know the in and outs of the industry but that being said um i've been in, in and around comics for i mean since 1997 uh and it's highly possible that someone that wasn't of Bendis's stature could get through and onto the page, the creation of a character like that. Mm-hmm. So I think our job is to use the sway and privilege we do have to, yes, I mean, get these characters done. It's better to have them than not have them. But then, you know, to quote me when I'm on the streets of New York to get out of the way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, I'm happy that, in the case of Miles, like, yes, Ben has created him, but we have now seen, as you said, it's been a platform for creators of color to come in and work with that character. talk about Somnus. Somnus is uh, is Italian and North African. Um, I would be excited for someone to lean into his North African background. It's not going to be me for the reasons we discussed mm-hmm. for the past 20 minutes, but I got that character made versus him not existing. And I would be excited and happy to see someone take him and explore those things. You know, Um and now, of course, why are those people of sway only a certain kind of person? Now we're discussing that we need to and we do need to. I mean, this is like a ground up holistic effort that needs to be made where we are elevating people to that level of power uh, in the industry. Of course, that's years or months down the road. Um, and so in the interim, yeah, I, I, I try to do and I try to see our job is to, yes, we should do everything we can and then know when it's
0: time to step aside. I mean, that's part of it, too. In terms of Somnus, Somnus came back. He got resurrected and he just left his family. Like he had a whole family, he had a whole thing. And then I thought about it and I was like, but that's kind of what queer life can be. And like, there's so many Easter eggs about Somnus. And I was like, is this because Steve's writing it and he wants people to pick up this fucking character? So he's like, you're the only person that could have like held off Cassandra Nova if you wanted. Dreamscape, connected people in the dreamscape, back family in the background i was like there's a lot of shit on that rap list that's interesting was that like an intentional construct
1: well there's a lot of meat for more solos if the if the opportunity arises for me or other people to write i think that you know you are right that it, it'll be an interesting reunion when he does see his family again um you know because also you, i mean he they buried him right mm. you know like they've gone through that grieving process um Regarding him being the one that was working Cassandra the whole time. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm the co-creator of the character. I wanted him to matter. But I also love when characters who are seemingly less powerful are able to get the upper hand on characters who have uh, extreme amounts of power in surprising mm-hmm. ways. Because that, again, that speaks to Cassandra's own character. She overlooks Somnus because she couldn't imagine him not being anything other than her. You know, she couldn't imagine him being other, anything other than a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the dream guy. Um, And yes, like in a basic level, I love the Spectre. I love uh, Neil Gaiman's Morpheus. So I love a necromancer, pardon me, an an character, just because I love dream imagery. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, I mean, that's where his powers came from. And and Man of His Dreams was a good title for the Somnus debut. (laughs) But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, there is a lot there. uh, And I wanted to have him and Pride be working from the beginning to get back at Cassandra Because Cassandra, you know, was a useful piece of shit, but she's still a piece of shit.
0: Um, She was a piece of shit. She was also, she was also the most, like, like, you know, there's a, there's a sort of evil gay part of your soul that rejoices at characters like Cassandra Nova. And particularly when she grabbed Psylocke's psychic dagger and shoved it in her own head, I went, oh no, I like her.
1: Oh yeah, no, I she was my favorite character to write. I mean, Somnus is like, you know, I just started rewatching the first season of the Fargo TV show with my boyfriend. Yeah. He's never seen it. And she's actually a lot like Billy Bob Thornton's character, Lauren Malvo, because he's evil, but he also does not I mean, he he could social norms don't even enter his mind. <laughs> so he will say things to people that entertain you and that yeah, you get you get catharsis out of. You wish you could say. And there is an aspect of Cassandra that's like that. There's no sacred cows for her. She doesn't care about apocalypse. She doesn't care about Charles. She doesn't care about anyone really hmm. besides herself. It's not, or, or rather, at least she doesn't value their opinions. So there is a joy to writing her, even though she's a, I mean, an attempted genocidal maniac and somewhat successful, um, because she will walk into any room and say whatever she wants. Uh, and 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 who what? And in a vacuum, of course, who among us doesn't want to have that? personality trend. yes
0: like it's the it was the it's the self-possession she's got conviction she's like she's horrible like i what happened to her definitely had to happen And i'm glad that there were consequences and i'm glad she's in a hole but at the same time she owned her shit so fully
1: yeah. and i don't think you know to be honest like it, it's good that she's not around because there are things that are coming even things like sins of sinister i mean she doesn't really, I mean, you can write the scenes in your head, but you know, she wasn't there to solve that. Uh, and she doesn't care about the quiet council, you know, like she doesn't care about Sinister wouldn't be in the hole, you know, she would just atomize him and, and, you know, or something, or throw him into space and rip his molecules apart. She doesn't care. It doesn't care who says not to do it. Um, and there are things going forward too, that, that might be helpful for that. But of course, as you said, she had to get her comeuppance and she had to get it in Marauders because Kate can only work with the person that killed her uh, father for so long. And to be clear, you want to talk about Easter eggs. That is a subtle X-Men first class reference. I mean, I I don't, I'm up and down in that movie, yeah. but I do love where Magneto, it, it's very humanizing where he's talking to Kevin Bacon and he says, you know, I agree with everything you just said. Unfortunately though, you killed my mother. <laughs> yeah. And yeah and that's kind of what it all comes down to for pride too like cassandra was helpful they couldn't have saved threshold without her they couldn't have defeated the shiar she did all those things and she had quote unquote reformed but she still killed pride's dead so
0: there's there's some beef that is forever
1: and i think that that's very i mean it you know, it, it makes me sound sociopathic to say so, but broadly speaking, it's close-minded. Like, like there, there is probably more utility if Cassandra was around to defend Krakoa. But it's a very humanistic decision to, again, like go back to our personal drives and getting revenge for a lost parent um, is intensely personal.
0: Well, and also, I, think, I like I enjoy stories like that because um, it shows you that mutants haven't become fully, totally. I idealistic or ideological. And I think those are the things that you connect to the most. And I pray, I pray that a couple of jobs get done before the inevitable fall of Krakoa, which is, and I say inevitable through gritted teeth. Because if it was me, we'd be doing this for another 10 years.
1: Well, I I don't listen. I don't think that's a spoiler just because, you know, no era lasts forever. Like, 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 it, it's not like we've told you what's going to happen. But like, there's not an era in comics that has lasted forever. The X Men left the Outback. They also left space. You know, they they've they left behind two different attempts at things that were like Krakoa before. So, I, I nothing you're saying, I think, is too apocalyptic. Like, um, it's a fact of ongoing storytelling. Um, but will it look like you expect, or well, you know, what's on the other side? That's the real question.
0: If we go back to the school, I'll flip tables. I will buy tables to flip them.
1: Funny, I, I pitched a book that was about a new school, but in con- but it was not in place of Krakow. That didn't end up happening, so it's not a spoiler. Um, but I had we we had ta- I, I pitched a book that was going to be like a way to give the school people something they wanted, uh, you know, if they want the school aspect, but it was not going to be in place of Krakow. I mean, this was three iterations of Fall of Mexico, so even the context would not match what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm, I'm just trying to make everything Earth-X, and I was like, oh, let's have a school, and the headmaster will be Cyclops, just like in Earth-X. <laughs> I, I
0: think the school, in, in my mind, would only be interested to have exposure to the human world. Mutants that have come from araco, mutants who have come from Threshold Free, even, mutants who weren't familiar with the world, learning and meeting it. Uh, but, the, but anyway, that was that was that was the whole thing. The school, I think,
1: is. Well, I the, mean, you know, look at it this way. Depending on how things go in the future, like circumstances change, half of my country is at war on the truth right now and history. So, a school is one of the most radical things that could possibly happen. Um, so context matters as to where we as to where the books end up, and that's not like a secret spoiler. I'm just saying, like right now, the idea of a school that actually teaches the truth about human history would be extremely radical mm. so uh, a school that teaches the truth about mutant history uh and mutant kind would probably end up being pretty radical too with the right with the right angle of course yes uh, yes because I, w-
0: I wouldn't want to feel like it was a destruction of all the footholds and this and the freedom and the space i wouldn't want mutants to go from cover K- 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 to retract to the school grounds oh, yeah. you know if the school enters as part of one of the staging areas of mutant life i i love but um just because like i hate i hate that brink of extinction shit like i really you know what in, in fact let me wheel it back i can be hyperbolic at times um i strongly dislike it purely because like, you get out and you see all these people giving creative license to do whatever they want and largely all they could do was speculate on how close they could get to killing it and i was like, well, this. Where's do you know what I mean? Where does this go? Where's the imagination? Where's the stretch in this? If you see a marginalized group and you, all you can imagine is how better to cut them and wound them and drive them to extinction, is that outside of the paradigms we've been taught? So I agree.
1: Let me say that, uh, like we, like I, I mean, I think the the beauty of resurrection is that you know we're we're done with the the suffering mutants narrative. In the same way that as queer people, you know, were were hypothetically done with, oh, you get a movie, but at the end, Jake Gyllenhaal gets his head caved in with a tire iron. Yeah. So, uh, the other, the thing that crossed my mind, though, that, again, is fascinating. And again, I'm I'm, I'm coming to you from America where we're circling the drain. But like, you know, right now you have forces in, in many states trying to act like all of the marginalization and subjugation you're talking about didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, And so I don't have an answer to that, but I, I, again, I I don't know. It feels, I agree with you. And I immediately thought of, well, at the same time, like if you're in Florida, you basically can't, I mean, you can't mention in the textbooks they want that like Jackie Robinson struggled because he was black. It just says he was a great baseball player. Mm. So I don't actually have an, I, I agree with you. And then I don't have an answer as to what that means for the future. When the push in the real world, may continue to be to erase the fact that these struggles ever happened. I don't have an answer. It just popped into my head because I do
0: agree. Well, I I hear you. I totally hear you and I agree. I think there's definitely a function for making sure that historical dynamics are remembered. But I think my thing also was that we were never told a very broad story. We were told a very specific history and to only remember those things, I think is limiting, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's why I love what we have now, because there are so many different types of imagination and so many different territories and questions we can ask. And actually, I think that's a good segue into X-Men Green, which I know you wanted to talk about. And where do you stand on the Hellion's hypocrisy, which I've made up right here, right now. But basically, why is it mutants like Nature Girl, I'm not in a Hellions-esque program. Well, so the specific
1: answer for Nature Girl and the characters in X Men Green, you know, I came on uh, and we wanted to unify everything that had happened beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so what we did is basically make what you're describing into an opportunity, uh, because you're right, uh, and, and you've seen characters like Magic when they're talking about the fate of Curse, whose powers aren't her fault um these people fell through i mean this became a book because of what had happened before mm-hmm. about people who fall through the cracks that they shouldn't have fallen through yeah uh and specifically spider girl and curse now nature girl uh is it because of curse's wish or not one way or another the version we have now it doesn't i mean she doesn't see herself as cra- as mutant or human she sees herself as as this this animal creature that is is above either humanity or mutants. Mm. Now, did she get there because she was ignored and wasn't respected? Uh, that's that's an entirely possible. But you're right. I mean, this is the thing. You are right. They should have been in the Hellions. They should have been in the Dark Riders. They weren't. Um, and all we can do because these are all things that happened before any even X Men Green started. In the case of Nature Girl, mm. uh, you got to find the opportunity there. And this is why this becomes. this. I mean, X Men Green is a tragedy. It's going to be, it's going to be right clear with you. Like I'm writing it as a tragedy. Mm -hmm. She shouldn't, I mean, curse shouldn't have been so desperate to find a friend that she would fundamentally alter nature girl's perspective from something that was positive into something that was broadly speaking, toxic. Mm -hmm. Someone who's hitting an oil rig to avenge the earth, but pouring millions of or thousands of gallons of crude oil into the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, all we could do, I mean, we, we, we wanted to build something off of what was there and you're right. These are people that should have had guidance and, you know, for, for reasons that are in the ether before any of us started this book, they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So we had to find story there. And it is a tragedy for the reasons you're saying. You know, they, they should have been helped. Uh, they should have been given guidance uh, and, 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 and comfort, but it didn't happen. So now we sort of deal with uh, what comes next. Uh, And it looks different for Spider Girl, it looks different for Curse, and it will look different for Nature Girl, uh, continue to, as things go on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, with what she had done, like, I I do find her to be a tragic character, That's, that's the... It's it's heartbreaking because we know that she is morally speaking in the right, but because of of what curse did to her, she's incapable of not making things worse. Mm-hmm. Every time every time there's an off ramp, she can't take it, yeah. uh, and, and and thus it becomes a tragedy for me. And that's how I I sympathize with her incredibly because we'll never. I mean, how will she be able to get on the right path? Uh, we don't know because of the the function of curse's powers. Um, but that's the tragedy, you know. She, we are as we are as you said, jacking up the planet every chance we can get. But even from the start, she seemed to be more about revenge. You know, killing a grocery store clerk doesn't yeah. doesn't solve pollution. It's just, it's revenge. It's not a solution. It is. And, I don't think that's bad. I think that's compelling. It just You just have to investigate why that's her why that's her track and how she's gotten on that track.
0: Yeah, I, I, and she's... So, what's the opposite of meta? I wanted to say micro, but it's not.
1: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I love that you said I don't know
0: with such easy conviction. Like, I was 100% sure you had the answer. Uh, it's Mesa. Huh? It's Mesa, I just looked it up. Okay, so... Uh, Nature girl is somebody who is like meta yes, Mesa no. In the grand scheme of things, do I agree with you one hundred percent? Absolutely. Some of the finer steps you're taking towards that goal, I agree on. Not very.
1: And her and she is very powerful, by the way. Like I'm like in the issues, and I'm going to be clear with folks. Uh, we work so far ahead in X Men Green. I do sort of forget what it's hit and what has not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I th- again, it shouldn't be a spoiler that she's gonna have a showdown with showdown with the X-Men. Uh and I mean her her powers are quite vast, especially when she gets jacked up on or juiced up with the anger of the whole planet, which you'll see. Like she kind of hulks out towards the end and becomes and reaches her, like, for lack of a better term, like her Super Saiyan form. Um and she takes on the whole team. You know, she is a powerful character. It's just not uh, pe- people haven't really thought uh, in the past, uh, perhaps, as to the extent to which her powers go. But she can do a lot, and uh, it, and for the reasons you say, she is connected intrinsically to the planet.
0: How that sets up such blurred lines with the X Men as well, because. If hurting the planet, if she's connected to the planet and hurting the planet is hurting a mutant. And then you've got people like Nightcrawler who are bringing back humans through resurrection. So it feels like some overstepping of certain sacred rules by mutants are... Um, no, no,
1: you're, you're describing the reality. Not everyone, I mean, even when you write, I mean, you, this is the, these are the things that I think have made Krakoa more and more quote-unquote realistic as time goes on. You can write rules down, but that absolutely, I mean, we all know that the rules don't apply to everyone in the same way. Uh, you know, we, when Marauder started, there were folks who were up in arms because Cassandra was just like carving up Krakoa for fun and removing like glands and organs from him. And it was just pure sadism because she enjoyed feeling bad as much as she enjoys feeling good. And people were saying, oh, well, you know, Melter gets thrown in the pit for melting a rock, but, you know, Cassandra Nova doesn't get thrown in the pit for not respecting the sacred land. Well, yeah, because everybody's terrified of her and because the rules are never applied equally. Like mm-hmm. they're what what's what is seen? I mean, it's not inconsistency; it's a reality to the world, you know. Uh, and that's been the, that's that's the way it is with <laughs> uh, with us out here outside of comics. And the more it's like that, the messier it is. I think the more real it is. Um, and you know, the tragedy of Lindley, as as uh, or, uh, as as has been seen in X Men Green, is that she's been given a thousand olive branches, and she'll probably get more. But she's just incapable of taking them; she can't. Yeah. Um, and her friends around her can. I mean, I think I, I the the thing that most moved me. I don't. I'm not here to suck my dick too much about my work, but like, I really identify a lot with the Spider Girl character. There's a there's a scene that's already come out where she tells Nature Girl, you know, that she she joined up with her because they have both been, uh, you know, kicked to the curb by Krakoa. They both do want to get back to the people that have hurt them but she realizes eventually that the difference is that she wants to not be angry someday. And she doesn't think that that nature girl ever wants that.
0: Like how do you keep in a situation where the harm is still being inflicted? And, and I don't, I don't have an answer for that at all, but that, that yeah. is like the,
1: and I, yeah. And I think that Lin Lee still has something of a, by definition, like a human's perspective. I mean, she does have a connection to earth that is going to become extremely literal by the end of the series. But at the same time, I mean, to be quite frank, we've been saying not that the earth isn't harmed by pollution. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, for years, we've been saying for decades, it's saved the planet. We're really saying save ourselves because we'll die way before, uh, you know yeah, yeah. the 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 planet is so toxified that you know whatever it quote unquote dies will be gone way before that yeah um frighteningly soon maybe but like hopefully not but that's the thing that what the lindley still is kind of yeah. thinking like a well like a like a human or a mutant i mean both would be just as annoying for her to hear but you know without the birth of mutants due to the seed for example the time when threshold is happening earth is fine humans would suffocate if we were standing on if we were standing in what the atmosphere was two billion years ago now in threshold it's not that because something that didn't happen in the real world happened you know mutants started to evolve early um but you know the planet has was for the majority of its existence has been inhospitable to humans um we just have we just can't really conceive of time on that scale but you know we're like a percentage of the planet's lifespan that it's fittable for us. So I think, I still think there's a, there, there is a come to Jesus moment for nature girl where she realizes uh, where maybe at least she can gain true perspective mm. um, from the point of view of the thing that she's supposed to be protecting versus at the end of the day, she's still thinking like some of the people that are living on it. I like that. We're tying, I think at one we should start to tie up
0: now. Well, we we can,
1: but you still didn't ask me about Scarlet Witch, so we can do 10 more minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I like
0: the cool thing that's happening with her hair. (laughs) But largely, it's been a series of very large, very iconic antagonists. Well, I didn't didn't know that
1: there was such a fan base for Dream Queen, but I do hope that she shows up again. Yeah, Um,
0: every single one. So I hope they come back at some point. Well, let's see what happens
1: with Scythia, because... You know, the thing is, as you've seen, it, Wanda writing Scarlet Witch is not exactly like writing Wonder Woman. But I do. It's similar in that, quote unquote, defeat doesn't necessarily look the way it does for other characters. Uh, or I should say victory doesn't necessarily look the way it does for Wanda as it does for others. I think that someone who's gone through everything that she has can't have such a rudimentary perspective of bonk you in the head. Right. Like like and, and I win because I because I make punch. I make yes. punch better than you. Uh, not at all. Um, so, and sometimes that means being vindictive by the way, like when she screws over dream queen, where she's going to, she'll never, she'll never, she'll never starve. But now the only thing that she can eat to live is something that disgusts her. Like that's very, uh, like Wanda is into poetic justice now, but she is still, I mean, there's plenty of other characters that would just vaporize dream queen and say, you got to go. Um, and that's not her. Uh, and, and that goes for the painful decision she has to make in, um, in Subatomica mm-hmm. as well, um, where she, you know, broadly speaking, she lets the people from Trifa fight for themselves, knowing that probably more people will get hurt than if she just solved it for them. But you can't come in, uh, obviously, looking like her or in any case, you can't come in to another culture and just think, you know, what's best for them. That's true. Uh, and, and, and that's again, she's learned that because everybody in her whole life has thought they've known mm. what's best for her but the one person she never, they never asked was her. Um, I... So, I mean, she's trying to find different solutions and you may see that with Sylvia as well. Not that there won't be plenty of punching. I mean, Wanda was trained by the best fighter in the Marvel universe and has been friends with him for X amount of comics time because who knows how long anything exists yeah. in comics time. Uh, so, I mean, she can, she's ready and I think people underestimate her, but the key is, yeah, she's trying to find different solutions That'll go, I mean, when she goes and interacts with Wiccan and Hulkling in issue six, the same will stand as well. You know, I, do, I did uh, disaster relief work with Jose yeah. Andres. Um, and a thing that he likes to talk about, and I think about this all the time, you know, he's like a James Beard award-winning chef. He has multiple restaurants. He's been humanitarian of the year. He's been in talks with the Nobel Peace Prize. And he talks about the first time he did any of this was uh, years ago in, in Haiti. And when he went down there, uh, he made, you know, he was cooking for everybody because this is what he does. He has a he is a food relief uh, Mm -hmm. NGO and all they deal with is feeding people after disasters. And he starts cooking the beans, you know, and these folks who have just gone through an earthquake, they won't eat the beans. And at first he's like insulted, you know, I'm Jose Andres, you know, like and you won't eat my beans. I'm cooking the best beans in the world for you. And finally, someone said to him, well, you know, these people, we, we've lost everything. We don't, you know, we want, we need you to cook the beans like we like them because it's one of the only things that is around that can make us feel like something is left. You know, it's just that little bit of dignity that we're going to have the food the way we like it. And so here you have this guy who's a world famous chef, and he is told that he's got to do it the way that the people that are affected want it. And that's a big formative moment for him because it's not what he would have done. And it was a huge reality check, uh, despite all his power, uh, despite all of his influence and things like that. And that's what you see Wanda doing. Of course, her power is magical. It's more literal than my friends, but it's a similar journey where she realizes that she, she can't know Mm -hmm. best, you know, even if she wants to, she has to listen to the people affected and I'm spoiling a little bit. Uh, the only, uh, the, I was affected a lot doing disaster relief with Jose and Bishop actually quotes a version of what Jose taught me and what he says a lot in his own interviews um, about the person that taught him about what charity means. And he um, likes to say the charity can't be about the vindication of the giver. It has to be about, no, pardon me. Charity can't be about the redemption of the giver. It has to be about the liberation of the receiver. Um, and, and, and that speaks to where the power actually lies in that relationship. And you see Bishop say a version of that in First Strike, and you see Wanda realize uh, a version of that in, in Scarlet Witch Issue 3. Um, and I think that that is a, a hard realization, especially for superheroes. What are superheroes, if not people who put on a bright costume and come and think they know how to solve yeah. your problems? Uh, but that doesn't always work out. And so, and, and for a character as powerful as Wanda, it's a nice humanizing moment because for all her power and she can just, you know, snap and turn the moon into soup as Darcy likes to say, but none of that matters to the people of Trifa. They want yeah. self-respect. And the only way she can do that is by making that personal sacrifice. She can't snap her fingers and give yeah. them that. She has to listen You to said,
0: uh, you were talking about what's going to happen in First Strike. Yes. Um, what can you tell me?
1: Well, what I can tell you about First Strike is that it ties together every X book I've written up until then. So um, there, I mean, even if it's Mm -hmm. in a small way, but, you know, in uh, Nature Girls escalating public zealotry, which often Mm -hmm. includes murder, um, matters, uh, and and it it will play into First Strike. Um, Thunderbird's admittedly fucking righteous and awesome ransacking of a police station in Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird will matter. In first strike and of course things that have been going on um in and in um in marauders uh and in any other x work i've done um but it is the culmination of those things there's a major Orcus pedal that is behind it it should kind of be obvious which one it was because there's one like head of Orcus of the multiple pedals that i've been working with more than others but it, it does pull together in small and big ways a lot of the threads we've been building towards and and it built upon the things that um, are going on right now uh, in in the world, but also that have been going on in, in, in the comics. And, and without spoiling too much, you know, it is like, we cheer, at least I cheered as, as Thunderbird um, kicked the shit out of those racist ass cops in, uh, in, uh, in giant size. But that's a lot of footage and that's a lot of uh, things that could be spun by bad actors like Orca's. And there's a lot of things like that that have happened in the X-Men line that we know are righteous because we know it all. But the populace of the Earth that is easily swayed doesn't know it all. Um, So you'll you'll see that come into play. And there's, of course, um, this is my big disaster relief book. I just said that I've worked that and I've been on the ground. In my case, I was in Panama Mm -hmm. City, Florida after Hurricane Michael. Um, and this is our version of that. Um, but it's also a combination of mutant thinking, because there is a massive, massive attack in Milford, New Hampshire. Shout out to Milford, the granite town. Uh, and it's not unlike what happens in something like Civil War or something like that. But the difference is now we're dealing with mutant thinking. We're doing dealing with mutant humanitarian, humanitarianism and we're dealing with mutant relief. So the big question becomes, you know, how much more can they do? Um, I mean, I wish. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna quote a non-spoiler line mm-hmm. that Bishop says because it sums it up better than I can ramble on this call. Um, and I guess if you can see the reflection of the comics in my glasses, there'll be spoilers.
0: <laughs> I I can't see it clearly, but
1: thanks. But it, it it sums up it sums up the point of view when he's talking here. Like, you know, you're talking about the laws mm-hmm. of Krakoa. And, and, and actually, this it, thematically, it really does tie together, even what we're talking about with Threshold. Um, at one point, he says, you know, obviously, we know something bad happens and Krakoa shows up. Um, and he says, well, they came, you know, whether, whether a mutant was behind this attack or not, they came uh, even before they knew what really happened because it wasn't about them. Uh, they, they came because if, well, if we as mutants can do more than humans, we should do more. Uh, and, and, and it's, it is about them sort of realizing that even when it comes to things like relief and disasters like this, they're not bound by human mm. constraints. So yes, a terrible thing does happen, but they're also able to deliver and quote unquote fix much more once they break the bonds of what would be perceived as a human limitation when it comes to disaster relief. So
0: you've got your hand on both sides of this. How does that feel? Do you guys, do you guys coordinate like orchis petals the same way you, coordinate mutant characters?
1: Uh, we do, but we also all have different interests, right? So, you know, the the narrative slash propaganda pedal of Orcus We, I mean, effectively has been under my thumb from the time, not from the time it was introduced, but from the time there was a face given to it, you know, like we, like folks knew there was an orcas pedal or pardon me, a narrative pedal before we even, I even joined the X-Men office, but the plans weren't solidified until I came in and we started to figure out who's behind these things. So, so it does work with, you know, what our interests are and things like that. And it's nice to see things come together. I mean, I was smiling about the, the, the Thunderbird issue just because I've never had it's probably one of my favorite things I've done. You know, it's one of those times when we're talking, we spent a lot of time talking about mm-hmm. inclusivity and it's one of those times when it all went right and it doesn't always happen, you know? Um, I mean, I, and I can lay it out for you. Why, you know, why I'm especially proud of that. We had, first we were talking about, well, you have to be in the room to try mm-hmm. to affect the change. I'm not a native person, quite obviously, um, but I was there in the room to advocate For the fact once Thunderbird was going to come back in Trial of Magneto, that something had to be done with him. Um, And I was there to say that if something is going to be done, like I'm happy to co-write with anyone, whether they've done comics or not, but we need to get a spotlight on it. We need to use actual at minimum a native co-writer. And and here we have, if I wasn't there, I never could have brought up working with Nyla Rose. Um, So suddenly I'm in the room and I can bring up and get the approval with editors who also agree with and, and push forward inclusivity do the work to get the approval, to reach out to Nyla herself, a native trans woman. Um, and, and, and of course, she instantly gets comics cause she's a pro wrestler uh, and she understands the tile of storytelling. Um, and then on top of that, we were able to secure a first nations artist and David Cutler. So it, it, and tell a story that was bolder than I would have told by myself. So we bring it all around. I was able to broach it, but it's not about me. It was about getting Nyla uh, and getting David on the mm-hmm. creative team um, and, and helping them tell the story they want to tell in the best way possible. And I'll be quite honest. A lot of things that were said in that book were things that you want to, again, let's bring it back. Trepidation. It's all becoming circular. There are things that were I to be the writer myself at minimum would have been said differently in that book or that wouldn't have been said. Um, because I don't necessarily know if I, I mean, I would, I, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable. I do know I wouldn't have known if they were authentic. Um, but here we have the people to put that in place. And we have things like, you know, I think about when, when Thunderbird goes into the car, co- into the, co- uh, the, uh, the police station and the, and the cop out front, the intake one, the desk sergeant says, well, horse parking's in the rear. When I saw that in Nyla's dialogue pass, I was like, holy shit, that is some fucking, that is some racist shit. And I absolutely would not have written mm. that myself. Uh, I wouldn't have felt like I knew if it was real or enough or not. I would, I mean, he would have said something shitty to Thunderbird, but it mm. wouldn't have been that a perfect example of what having folks that are from those backgrounds can bring you. Um, and there's a there's a thousand stories like that in the Thunderbird issue. I'm incredibly proud of it. That one just comes up because when I got an Isla's pass on Dalek, I was like, "Fuck," yeah. you know, um, and and there are many things like that, you know, Is um, that and, it just goes, and it goes to what the perspective of, uh, you know, different people's perspectives, even things that we all think are good. Like, uh, I would think it's fair to say a vast majority of folks Thought that Krakoa was uh, well. I shouldn't say that. I know there are people who didn't like it. Um, a lot of folks seem to like the idea of Krakoa and think that it's a wholly positive mm-hmm. thing. You know, when you think about it being a, a, a place just for pick your a marginalized group, uh, an exclusive space, um, but it's relatively unique the Native perspective. And so from that, like you have this guy Thunderbird who comes back. Who you know, America has plenty of exclusive places for Native folks, and we yeah. treat them terribly. Uh, you know, and so you have a unique perspective that you can get almost nowhere else—not just from the character, the creators behind the scenes, but from the character on the page—to come back having been gone and immediately see bullshit where all these other people see virtue. You know, he says, "I came back, and these two white guys made themselves—or uh, pardon me—and these two white men made themselves uh, an island, and or, or rather, they made themselves a reservation and called it an island. Yeah, or something yeah, like I read that, that like was
0: Canada. yes, I read that,
1: and and you know." That's the virtue uh, or the, the luck of having that character and the people behind it with the confidence to say that that would be an authentic Exactly.
0: And there's so many times where you read mutants and you can see that that confidence is lacking because what they've done is they've siphoned in mutantdom to sort of replace their existing identity. Like there are a lot of characters that become mutant instead of black. So all the things, and you, you can see that they're trying to have a proxy conversation about the real identity here, but they don't feel like they're in a position to do it. So they've used newton as a stand-in and it's all a bit, it's all a bit weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I mean, what we're talking about is that like people forego intersectionality. <laughs> uh, they, they, but in a weird way, it's kind of why I love that the character Omerta exists, even though he's a giant homophobe. Like I'm not going to put him on an X-Men team but it's a real moment that, oh, yeah, you could be a mutant and still be yeah. a super homophobe or you could be a mutant and still be racist. Like these things the are Washington Washington. In, uh, just like in the real world. Now, I'm not going to put fucking Omerita on the team and I'm not going to give him his flowers, but I'm glad that character exists because it's a reality. You know, like let's not act like a character like Nightcrawler, who is incredibly religious, wouldn't at least have a journey to come around to characters around exactly. being gay. That's not to say he wouldn't figure it out, but to act like he would just instantly get it by virtue of being a mutant? Absolute horseshit.
0: Um, But I'm really looking forward to First Strike. It'll be really interesting to see mutants pivot into being sort of benefactors. Well,
1: or try. I mean, you know, it's all about building on what's there. You'll see what happens at the end. But like Xavier says at one point, and Xavier's totally like he's feeling himself for better or worse clearly in this era. But in this moment, I mean, he says, you know, if we're going to be gods, we should at least be benevolent ones uh, when, he, when he gives Bishop the go ahead to go and lead relief there. I will say that if you're a fan of me picking random mutants that have very specific powers that are useful in very specific scenarios, you will like mutant first strike. Uh, I will tell you that the character, I'm not going to spoil all of the characters that show up for like one panel and do something useful for relief, but... Um it's a non-spoiler thing so I will say that one of the related to the bean story mm-hmm. uh, moments of joy and dignity are important in relief we often have this point of view where it's like well you got nothing so you should just be happy with anything which yeah. is again that's that's cruel and is extremely privileged um so like things like that matter even if they're not like you know giving someone a warm cup of soup isn't going to rebuild their house but those two things are not mutually exclusive yeah and so look ice cream shows up the character who can turn himself into literally he can turn himself into ice cream. Yeah. Um, And there's just one panel that I actually think is really beautiful because all he's doing there is, is he's in the food relief line and he's giving kids whatever ice cream flavor they want out of his hand. And, you know, in that moment, that's, that's joy for them, you know, like, and, and it, even if it only lasts while they're eating that cup of ice cream or that cone of ice cream. Yeah. There's a spot where I could, I could, you know, for me, do what I consider as a home run. I can use it, a character that people think has no value for the most part, other than a joke, and turn it into something that's really profound. And there's a lot of characters like that in the book, but I was happy with that. I mean, it, I mean, there are two characters that can turn into ice cream. I will say, like soft serve,
0: soft serve, and I, I literally started thinking of a cirque circuit. Yeah, it's
1: not soft serve because I don't want to show someone pooping ice cream out to give it to kids. Yeah. So they still... <laughs> but the point remains, like I, I'm, I'm, ex- it's, it's not a big panel. It's not a, pro- it's not a spoiler panel. But I think it's a really profound moment because yes, that that mutant who no one thought had value still no. has value. And 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 a very specific value that helps people in a time of need. But anyway, that was another rambling thing. So I'll get out of the way for so you can ask your question.
0: Is it more gross to eat the ice cream of a man who becomes the ice cream, or a girl who poops out the ice cream?
1: Well, we do hint. We do. We do hint. No one's ever gone into detail about ice cream's powers. So I do hint that what he actually does is turn the raw proteins he consumes. Well, I mean the same way that we use proteins to make our bodies. Like, so he can't, I mean, I guess if he did, wasn't constantly eating, it would just be his hand coming off as ice cream. But we've at least implied that if he's like taking stuff in, he's not, you're not literally eating what used to be like his fucking hand. He okay. Do um, but I guess if he were to starve or he didn't have any free protein, he could just turn his hand into an ice cream cone or something. But I did, you know, ever since, ever since someone asked, like, I think it was Warren Ellis uh, years ago, and RIP him for being a weird sex pest now, fuck him. But back in the day, um, he was like, well, where does the food Mr. Fantastic eats go when he stretches? Because the food can't stretch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I, ever since I read that, like 20 years ago or whatever, I just, I try to really think about characters' powers. So I had to ask, like, if ice cream can turn into ice cream and not run out of body, like what's actually happening. Yeah. Uh, So we do, he's like stuffing his face as he likes, you know. Oh, that's cool, okay, excellent. But yeah, we couldn't use snow cone because you can't listen, folks. You can't just, especially in a disaster relief scenario, you can't just show someone like two girls, one cupping ice
0: cream uh, cream out for kids who need things. It's not ideal. It's genuinely not. (laughs) Okay, Uh, tell me how you would write Somnus revealing he is now three years from Twink Death, young and a mutant and gay.
1: Oh man. It, it's hard to pick. I feel like, but it's got, in his case, there's got to be like, it's got to be like an awkward joke, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's Canadian. So maybe the first three words are I brought poutine.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell. Oh, that was my last question. Iceman. Okay. Is the Iceman book going to expand Bobby in mythos in in terms of ability? Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to talk in specifics about Iceman because uh, the events of the Hellfire Gala are big. Mm. Uh, It's not out yet. Um, I will say that the events of the Hellfire Gala mean that everything you're saying will be true. He's going to have a new location, which we did. I mean, we say, uh, the, the announcement does say he's going to be set up. Uh, he'll have a fortress or, uh, in, or a stronghold in Antarctica, the coldest and most remote place on the planet. He's right at the North Pole of inaccessibility, which is—or pardon me—the South Pole of inaccessibility, which is one of the three South Poles, um, and it is the one—it is the one that is literally the f- most inaccessible point in Antarctica. Um, he will have someone there, uh, that'll be revealed in issue one, uh, but we're holding off on that. And his his style will, by necessity, change the world after the hellfire gala is going to be a lot different and I, that i mean that's not my stuff to spoil you'll see very soon but yeah he'll be using his powers in all new ways um and he will uh, he will have still remain incredibly powerful and be doing these godlike things there will be a new limiting factor that relates to the hellfire gala but he's still going to be doing all of the bobby stuff and bobby stuff that you probably haven't imagined yet you know like he, he, what the issue will be that he can't always do it for unlimited amounts of time, which will yeah. make sense after the Hellfire Gala. But uh, he, he'll he still be doing all those things. I mean, he has an enormous palace that's populated with his drones in uh, Antarctica uh, for himself. That's, you know, he, so he's already he's already on his way. Um, but it's, all the follow X books are tough because I want to say, tell people so much more. Um, but man, like we can't, like, it'll all make sense after the gala. And I hate being one of those people that says that. But yeah, you'll be seeing him do new shit for sure and fighting new villains. Um, and it'll also be continuing the thematics of what we've discussed. You know, one of the th- other things about scapegoating, especially uh, marginalized folks, is that uh, eventually you run out of goats to escape. So so one of the one of the perspectives that Iceman takes is that um, eventually orcus is going to have to move beyond mutants. And then it's going to be people that are mutant adjacent, whether they're people that used to use experience or people like the Y-Men or people like uh, the Korea, the, the Korean artificial mutant X-Men team, uh, or people that are also born different, but, uh, are mutants like in humans or things like that. Mm. So one of the pushes of the, of the Iceman book is that he's going to be defending, um, not just mutants, but other marginalized groups who are getting close to next on the docket, because you always need a new big bad enemy. Right. Uh, and when, when the more power the characters or antagonists get, um, you know, it's hard as, as a character says in the book, um, you know, people, uh, people cheer, you know, look at, look at back in the day, people cheer, um, uh, what do they call The friends of humanity back in the day for going after mutants, right? But if they ever really won, eventually they would run out of mutants, but they would still want to be cheered. So they would have to come up with a new big bad and the yeah. new big thing of fear. So, so there is, Iceman is still continuing the thematics of Krakoa, but yes, as a solo book where he's going to be doing some some truly wild shit in every issue.
0: And, now, you know, oh, sorry, and, and I was being a bit facetious before, purely because I think Bobby is strung by the same sort of um, constraints that Storm always was. Yeah. Effectively, she's an... they Storm, Bobby, to a greater or lesser extent, Magneto, I think sometimes because he's limited by the availability of metal. But... Like they are sort of scaling down and doing something very small with their powers to sort of make the ensemble work. I mean, yeah, give me a Marvel
1: Max book and I'll write Iceman uh, where he freezes all of Wolverine's body. And when he tries to move, all of the meat just rips off and falls off. And he's just like a skeleton on the ground. Right. Um, But I can't do that in Iceman. That's not in our content rating. Um, (laughs) But no, you're right. I mean, Storm especially, there's a moment in First Strike, and, and Al and I have talked about it too. I think he did a version a, a version of it too in Red. Um, you, all you have to do, much like Nature Girl, is really dig into the, the power of nature and the environment to know that Storm can obviously do a lot more than shoot rain and shoot lightning at people. I mean, when I was doing, I, I, unfortunately, this again keys back to when I was doing Disaster Relief, but that was a hurricane. And you would be driving around just seeing houses that effectively blew up from the inside because of rapid changes in, in air pressure. Yeah, and Storm can basically just look at something and make it blow up. So, you know, um, the onus is on us with all these characters, all the, all the ones you mentioned there, Magneto, Storm, Iceman, Gene uh, Gray. Um, yeah, right. yeah, Jesus. Wanda, any of them is to find new creative uses of their powers and try to think outside the box.
0: Yeah, and, and and even find new places for them to be because there are so many teams sometimes when you read it and there's one person in that team and you go, that person could have done this entire thing alone.
1: <laughs> well, that's why Firestorm can't affect living material uh, because otherwise he would just always win. Now, of course, well, I don't want to get into that. Whoever wrote that, like they actually say organic material, but he affects organic material all the time. What they really mean is sentient beings. Yeah. Um, I mean... Many things are organic, but not sentient. And he turns, I mean, if he can turn something into a plant, there's no reason he can't turn a human into a plant. But this is not my TED talk about why Firestorm's powers don't necessarily.
0: (laughs) Well, Steve, all right. Uh, We can tie up. Thank you for this um, very, very unexpected at times wonder through (laughs) X X characters. Thank you, everybody, for who's been listening. I've been Ash. I've been Steve Orlando. And this is X of Words.
1: Someone I fit inside